Remember Ashley illness explanation? That sounds so <laughs> intense. <laughs> Gotta remember that. <laughs> okay, All right, here we go. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the blessedly young, euphorically hip, and resolutely lay editors of America Media. Nice. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Is there a reason we didn't go with faith, culture, and the news, often over brews? Ah, uh, that... I would just trip over that. All right. It just sounds like it was an, a missed opportunity. Uh, that's Zach Davis, and I'm also with Olga Segura. Hey, guys. Um, and if I sound a little different this week, um, it's because I'm pretending to be sick so I can get out of work. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Because if there's one thing you know about Ashley is that she totally wants to get out of work and take sick days off and vacation days. Most uh, people just, yeah. <laughs> no one's going to hear this till Friday. You'll, you'll have already taken your day off. Yeah. <laughs> day off, in quotation marks. Gosh. Uh, yeah, so if you hear me coughing on or off mic, I apologize. I'm not used to being sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what is on tap, Zach? So a lot of times we'll have maybe only one drink, not a lot, but sometimes. And one drink can kind of make you tired. And, and That's true. we lament Especially sometimes. when you're sick. Yes, and having to give up coffee is rough. And so Matt Blair wrote in and reminded us that we can just have a great Irish coffee. That's both and worlds. And we can, yeah. Look, uh, what's the word? Pick me up and... And take me down. Yes, (laughs) one of the both. And so hopefully we'll stay in the middle. (laughs) Uh, Today we're actually chatting with Molly Burhans. She's the founder and executive director of Goodlands. And the Boston Globe recently did this really cool profile of her. And her organization has created a global map of the Catholic Church. So we'll be talking to her about why she started this, the technology behind it, um, and why she does what she does. She is very impressive. Yeah. I'm excited to talk to her. Yeah. Awesome. And after that, we've got our Consolations and Desolations, the part of the show where we get really vulnerable and tell you guys where we did or didn't find God this week. Yeah. We'll see if really talking to... Vulnerable. <laughs> oh, God. Don't say that. <laughs> really, really vulnerable. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Um, first up, I we could not talk about what's going on in Houston right now. Um, it has been hit by a unprecedented uh, hurricane and tropical storm that's caused a terrible, terrible flood. The numbers mm-hmm. are just insane. Uh, over 30 people have died. There have mm-hmm. been over 8,000 rescues. 30,000 people are in shelters, 50 yeah. inches of rain in some yeah. places. Like That's more the highest than they've gotten in like level. a year of rain in Houston. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, so our prayers are definitely with the people there. Yeah. It was sunny in Houston today, but the storm is still it's still um, hitting other parts of Texas and moving on to Louisiana. So there are still ongoing efforts there. Um, but we got a really uh, inspiring message from the uh, president of Strake, the Jesuit high school down in Houston. Um, and uh, there's this great video on, on Twitter of some uh, like 15-year-old uh, Strake students going around in a boat uh, trying to save people. Um, and I think we've all seen a ton of right. videos and images and heard stories of people just like going out of their way to save yeah. their mm-hmm. neighbors. Men for others. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. So President of Strake, Jeff Johnson, uh, wrote in America – 
words fail to describe what has been happening here in Houston. The rain brought by Hurricane Harvey has not stopped for four days, but our support and care for one another seems limitless. So that's good. And I hope that care continues for what's going to be weeks and months of recovery efforts um, down in Texas. All right, now we've got a couple of quick updates. Uh, first, from last week, we talked about uh, Father William Aitchinson. He was a, a priest for the uh, Diocese of Arlington down in Virginia who uh, came out as being formerly a member of the KKK. And it turns out it wasn't as like hopeful as we might have made it sound. He was basically a journalist was investigating, and so that prompted him to get ahead of the story and say this. And not only that, but it's not like he had this great conversion and became a priest and then everything was great. He continued to espouse um, racist views. Yeah, talk about like randomly canonizing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he talked about St. Robert E. Lee. Yeah. Um, uh, and so the person who brought this to light was this freelance writer who was a former parishioner of his mm-hmm. um, who wrote a story for the Washington Post being like, there's a lot more to this story. So He was quickly put behind the story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. What's next, Olga? So the sisters from the Adorers of the Blood of Christ, who, if you recognize the name, they made headlines last month when they built a chapel to blocked the building of a pipeline on their land. They recently lost the case. Um, The U.S. district judge stated that the energy company who's building the pipeline has a right to build on this due to eminent domain. Um, Darn. I'm sure the sisters will keep fighting. Of course. They actually also filed a federal, uh, filed suit in federal court. So they're still waiting to hear back on that. And because we've talked about these cool nuns in previous episodes, we just want to give you guys an update. So in other non-news, the FBI for Philadelphia has issued a hashtag wanted notice for the attempted armed robbery today in Tannersville, Pennsylvania. Uh, the suspects were wearing nuns' habits, veils, and had a black handgun. And I don't know why we're assuming that they were just wearing nuns' outfits and that so the nuns weren't robbing the bank. You think those are real nuns? Uh, no. Some people were having fun with this on Twitter. One response says the bank teller was having none of it. I really... Oh, Lord. I, I think this is becoming a cliche and wow, I Wow, they really do have some bad habits. Oh, God. I'm so mad at you. Sorry, did you have a really good joke coming? Yeah, just that exact same one. It's okay. I ran right through it. Spend all, right. all afternoon it's on. Cool. There's only two nun puns you can make, and yeah. those are it. Yeah, I know. Hope, okay, maybe you'll you can come up with a pun for this next story about priests. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this was just I couldn't read the headline without laughing. Uh, Catholic priest dares wizards to bewitch him if they can. <laughs> uh, it sounds like he's doing the exact opposite of your rule, which is to not mess yeah. with these. We dark have powers. warned people in the past not them. to do this. He, you know, speaking boldly of the power of Jesus, this reminds me of like Saint Boniface, who is the namesake of the parish that Ashley and I go to, is like famous for cutting down like a sacred tree in this community, and then saying like, "Look, nothing's going to happen to me." And then he, they killed him. So something happened to him, but <laughs> he's therefore considered a martyr. Um, so hopefully, Shoot, I didn't know that. Hopefully, okay. he's uh doing all right. All right. What's next, Olga? So, guys, you might have been as excited as a lot of people on Twitter to hear that Sean Spicer has finally met Pope Francis. Oh, yay, spicy. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> many people love him. So many people are excited. So Why? I would Why? Say people Why? don't love him. I think they more pity them. Pity turns into love him. very quickly, though, <laughs> especially it in is a very think. It is a very fine line. Yeah. But he was actually in Rome for the annual meeting of the International Catholic Legislators Network, which is a nonpartisan and entirely independent network of Catholics in elected office that have the desire to integrate Catholic social teaching into their politics so if you're like me i did not know this existed so i wasn't aware that like 
this is why Spicer was in Rome. So I learned two things. Well, about. and shout out to our colleague, Michael Lachlan, who yeah. broke this story because people yeah. were like seeing photos of this event and they're like, is that Sean Spicer? And Mike, yeah, Mike did, the, did the dirty work, the dirty work <laughs> of going through the Vatican's arcane photo website and just looking for, he looked through like probably like 200 photos of people meeting the Pope and he finally found the one of Spicy. Nice. So <laughs> it was a big story uh, because was. people- Love people love this spicy for some reason <laughs> they do they really do love him i think it's i mean i think it's because he looks like someone who was bullied in high school so you can't really just you like can't pile like... on to him and then like when trump like snubbed him by not bringing yeah. him to rome when him and his family met with pope francis even though spicy had like expressed his desire to meet mm-hmm. the pope it was kind of it was yeah. really sad. And also, like, he was a former White House press secretary, but he seems so uncomfortable in his role. Like, those images of him hiding in the bushes, like, it, I don't know. He's just, yeah. he's so sad. He's just a sad man. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, hopefully, he's a little happier. I, his life has gotten probably a lot better. Uh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's next? More news from the Zat, uh, the, the right. Zatican. The Zatican. The Zatican back. <laughs> yes. So, Speaking of the Pope meeting a ton of people all the time, Cardinal Pietro Perlin, the Vatican Secretary of State, gave an interview where he talked about the Vatican's security efforts in in relation to rising security threats, specifically from ISIS, right? Yeah, no, there's recently a video of, like, ISIS in, I think, the Philippines, a very Mm -hmm. Catholic country, like, saying that they were going to come after the Pope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's tricky because... Pope Francis is very publicly with a ton of people all the time. And I, I've i been to events with both Pope Benedict and Pope Francis. and the Like in St. Peter's Square? Yeah, so I've been to weekly audience. I went to a lot of things with Francis because um, I was studying abroad while he was uh, Pope. But I've been to a weekly audience with Pope Benedict. And the difference between the two uh, is very striking. It's, you know... Uh, Francis is just sort of, he he stops, he kisses more babies. People are just like throwing stuff mm-hmm. into the Pope-mobile all the time, like rosaries and t-shirts and crap he doesn't need. Um, and, and if I were, it's a zoo. And also he's like drinking like mate, the Argentine drink. People, he like drinks, little kids are just handing it to like him. That's like the number one that thing you learned as a child. <laughs> do like, not take do mate not, from yeah. strangers. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley's time as an Argentinian girl <laughs> paid off. Um, so yeah, I can't imagine being in charge of his security detail. Right. Um, there is, uh, this story talked about how, you know, people have to go through security checks to get through the Vatican, but I don't know if you've ever gone through a Vatican security check. It's worse than the TSAs somehow. Uh, like you walk through and the alarm's going off and some, the guard is smoking in the corner somewhere (laughs) and there's just, just a total joke. Um, but it does raise a question of, you know, people are very much drawn to, Francis's style of being mm-hmm. among the people and being yeah, someone yeah. who you can use, literally like, touch. Yes, car. Yeah. He's out in the open. Yep. And yeah. but also he puts all of those people in danger, right? Yeah. Because yeah. of terrorist attacks like we've seen in Europe um, and all over the world where it's scary. So yeah. it's a trade off. And I don't I, I guess I would trust you, the Pope. Would you still go back to a weekly audience? If you oh, 100 percent. Yeah. All right. Good. Like most Catholics, <laughs> I freaking love the Pope. So <laughs> worth the risk. Worth it. All right, what's next, Olga? So next Tuesday, DACA turns five. DACA is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals that was created under Obama, and it's turning five next week, and over 1,300 educators have signed this petition to make sure that Donald Trump does not end this program. Um, He's actually facing challenges from 10 state attorney generals who are stating that if he does not end this, 
they are going to take this to the federal courts. Yeah, and the um, deadline they said they they gave him till September fifth to yeah yeah either. they gave him to the till the anniversary. Um, and a bunch of Catholic educators are urging the president to not remove this. And one of the leaders is Father Tim Kaziki, who is the president of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. Um, and this is not the first time we've seen Catholic leaders. They re- are always very vocal in immigration reform. Um, but I think this time it seems especially tense because President Trump has just recently pardoned uh, Joe Arpaio and a lot of people are kind of, you know, waiting for him to just n- a lot of people are afraid that he will end it. You know, he doesn't seem he ran a campaign um, very much anti-immigration. And yeah, no, I I just can't imagine being in the situation of being someone who has um, been protected by DACA and just living in this suspense because like Trump has he said oh like I'm gonna have a big heart I'm not gonna go after these dreamers they're great right, right. but then he's also you know maybe a not liar. <laughs> yeah yeah because like and so you're just living year, in this yeah. like suspense um yeah like uh, our one of our first episodes was inter- episode two episode yeah. two was interviewing uh someone who was an undocumented immigrant and mm-hmm. it like this makes an impact like he was deciding whether or not to get married or did like that has an impact on what right, he can do right. and where he can work yeah um so to like have use these people as a pawn mm-hmm. between trump and these attorney generals is just terrible I'm proud to, if you remember from our second episode, or if you don't, you should go back and listen to it. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I, it was my, it was my friend Jorge, who um, I'm proud to announce I was at his green card party. Oh, um, nice. Just see, we had a, we had a nice event where we knocked down a pinata in, in, uh, <laughs> in, red, in red Hook, Brooklyn, face. right in the shadow. <laughs> no, no, absolutely no. But it was in the shadow of the Statue of Liberty, which was kind of oh, a cool nice. thing. Nice. That's very nice. cool. He's just a player, player. Oh, he's just a player, player. Oh, he's just a player, player. Oh, yeah. So today we are pleased to welcome Molly Burhan. She is the founder and executive director of Goodlands. Welcome to Jesuitical, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. So first question, what is Goodlands? Goodlands is an organization that makes maps of the church and uses those maps to understand the land holdings of the church so that they can be leveraged for social and environmental good while helping communities also um, increase their financial sustainability through land management. Great. And okay. So that's... <laughs> Can you, like, break that down yeah. into bite-sized terms for the rookies okay. here? What is what is Goodlands? Simply put, we help people use land for good, okay. especially in the Catholic Church. The church, the church has a lot of land. We oversee a massive amount of land. One of the things that people have said to me so much since I've started this is, oh, the church is the largest landholder in my country. <laughs> and um, just looking at our preliminary maps and looking at the data out there, likely we collectively oversee the largest non-governmental network of land holdings in the world. And if you can get this information onto a map, you can start to really understand, you know, the environmental context of our land holdings, where they're contributing the most to, say, rare habitat or connectivity or where there's opportunities to enter the carbon market and help communities be more sustainable. A spatial view of, of what's going on within a community is actually really important for planning how to get resources where. So is it like a Wikipedia thing where anyone can update it or are people 
So are you crowdsourcing all the data and stuff? No. So we, we contract with clients. So that's some of our work is we're working with Catholic nonprofits on special request map making. Then, then we have our like big global map making project, which I worked with a pretty large team to actually develop the first global map of diocesan boundaries. So that was really laborious. And it was really surprising that there was no map of this in existence. You So you, you're 26, is that that's correct? No, the Boston Globe article is wrong. <laughs> 27. Okay. Uh, All right. Wow. So still, okay. still, still, <laughs> still relatively impressive. And this is a huge, huge undertaking. Um, and you're, you're, you're the director of it. How, how did you get inspired to do this project? Well, I guess it started, um, I started my first company, co-founded it in, in undergrad when I was at Canisius College, which is run by Jesuits. And I absolutely adore the Jesuits. <laughs> I have a Jesuit character. <laughs> okay. <director. I> just... <laughs> um, and I was thinking about becoming a nun, which I think still might happen. I'm still discerning. And so I spent some time at a convent. And I just noticed that these sisters are living so beautifully, so sustainably. You know, they, they were living Laudato Si. They were making change in their community. Their lifestyles emulated a rejection of the throwaway culture that Pope Francis so eloquently speaks about in that document. But their land management could have used a lot of improvement. And so I saw, you know, if they had improved the way that they relate to their land holding, it would have improved all of their programs through having, you know, sustainable food development on this huge amount of land that they had to doing better forest management. There were erosion issues in the landscape and kind of invasive species issues. And I saw, you know, this great opportunity um, to help communities. And I felt, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about the land and the power of the land in relation to our missions driven by faith. And um, my Jesuit spiritual director was like, Maybe you should follow that if it, if it, if you can't stop thinking about it. Those you know, pesky it. Jesuit spiritual directors. <laughs> so I went to graduate school to go study that, and I thought I would be maybe, um, you know, doing individual scale permaculture work. Ecological design is what my master's is technically in. And when I started making maps, it was like this revelation. Um, GIS was really geographic information systems is the technology that we use to map. And the first day that I opened the software, it was like one of the best days of my life. And about two weeks later, directly. <laughs> what, so what exactly, what does, what does it do? GIS or what is it? <laughs> so maps are really about distilling the information that you need and what's useful. Um, GIS allows you to take huge data sets and just layer them on top of each other and understand spatial patterns um, and create new information. I mean, so if you think about it, if you've ever, have you ever played with like Google Earth? Oh, yes, yeah. all the time. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I can teach my computer to learn what a tree is. Hmm. I can even identify the species of trees probably on your parents' homes' properties. Whoa. Wow. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's absolutely, it's incredibly powerful. And we're in this amazing age where decades of scientists' uh, labor is now available, much of it publicly. Um, so we can layer on maps about, like, rare soil types. 
mapping has been integral for essentially almost eradicating polio. And it's so impressive. It's because you can locate where there are new incidences of disease, the disease, and, and where to target your your vaccinations. Mapping was integral for um, addressing the Ebola crisis, and I was honored to work with a team that helped out with that. Um, and I've done nothing really, like that with my life. Jeez, I'm 27 you and helps. I'm just so far behind. <laughs> it's okay. It's it's a really technical thing, but a lot of people don't realize that just having information. So after um, polio mapping, the mapping for that in some places, I, um, I I've heard that infant mortality rates drop by half in at least one of the study areas, mm-hmm. and that was simply because they knew where the healthcare clinics were and they knew how to get what was needed there okay. and how people could get there. Okay, so I know it's like early on in your project, but can you talk about what 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 those like concrete applications of the map um, have been or could be for either either like a parish or a diocese or the Vatican? Yeah, so our maps are the global ones show a lot of really useful information. One of I think the most interesting things is we visualize the pre shortage crisis mm-hmm. in dioceses globally, and you can look at a video demo of that. And when we first made that, I almost you know, I felt so bad because I looked at Latin America and Sub-Saharan Africa and I went, wow, they have it so much worse than us in America. And I was just thinking about Wait, all the really? people. Most people think that like, that's where the vocations are happening. And, you right. know, like they're now sending priests to the U.S. I know that's exactly what I thought, too. So it was just a shock to me when I saw that. Um, if you actually look at that map um, on the link from our homepage on our website of the video demo, there's a little thing that says, you know, click here to look at the map. It's um, it's just astonishing. Sometimes it's the highest level is one priest for every 65,000 Catholics. Or wow. in the United States, the average is about one priest for every like 1,000, 2,000 Catholics. Hmm. And um, globally, it's about one for every 5,000. So yeah, that was like the, one of the biggest shocks. A really practical application of our global maps are now we can see um, deforestation rates and um, we can see where this is happening the most. Or we can see, you know, U50 bishops, since we have all the bishops data in each diocese, um, 400 million people are going to experience famine in these 50 dioceses in the next 30 years, you know, or something like that. And be able to say, you know, and you're the largest landholder or you're close to it within these dioceses. Mm. How can we get a sense of urgency around using our land, around shifting agricultural practices in these areas and really bringing as much as we can to help these people? So earlier in the show, we talked about Hurricane Harvey. Like, is there something that your a map, like what you're trying to develop could could be used for in a situation like that? Definitely. I mean, just being able to know where a good example of being the United States, we have a lot of great data to work with. So we can see the square footage of each building. Mm-hmm. You could say, you know, we have 10,000 people that need shelter still. You could actually see if the church was on a high level or if the right. facility was right. on a high level and if it would be inundated by flooding or safe before you even send people there. That's amazing. It sounds like there's so much like opportunity for like hopeful work that can be done with this with with this data uh, but you you mentioned like when you saw the priest shortage you it was shocking and you said it made you feel bad for Harry. what what was that like it was really surprising i mean so i made these maps with a team um esri as the leaders in geospatial technology globally donated a huge amount of staff and technology resources to us and i made um I made this map with their team there. And when we looked at it for the first time, first we were visualizing the Catholic church globally for the first time in history. Um, 
which is just kind of, you know, it even gives me a chill just thinking about it now. It's such an amazing view to see that the church is really everywhere. Um, being able to see the priest shortage crisis, I immediately emailed the priest on our board <laughs> and I said, Father Bob, <laughs> what's up by this? <laughs> and he said, you don't need to worry too much. I mean, he told me that they're, um, that when he was a priest in Panama, they were involving lay people creatively yeah. within the church, but you know, there's still some sacraments that can't be delivered right. to them. So it, it definitely, it was quite a like, yeah, shocking. And being able to see where Catholics are too, that goes back to the use of this. And so this really shows us where the church has a lot of soft power. And this is really important in areas where they might have dysfunctional governments. What, what was it like? Um, I mean, on the one level, realizing all these things sociologically is incredible. Uh, what was what, what was it like for your faith to your own faith to encounter sort of the global church in a new way? Oh my gosh, it was just so fantastic. I've gotten to make this map. And at the same time, I've been invited to speak at conferences all over the world from Nairobi to Hyderabad, India. I was there this, this past May at you know, I've been to Rome a bunch and around Europe and it's just been amazing. You know, the church is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And when you see it globally and you see our faith expressed in different cultures and different people and different languages, it just, you know, it's just, it's moving. It's, it's, it's just, we are one body and you see that and you see our kinship within the church. And then you see this beautiful expression of the individuality within cultures. And I think it's just fantastic. And seeing it globally on the map gives it a context. I mean, someday I would love to make like a coffee table atlas of the church. That would be so awesome. I would definitely give my mom that for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Molly, you, you could, you know, from a rookie perspective, it sounds like you could take this technology elsewhere and be making a tons of money, but you chose to do this for the church. Why is that? Um, well, foremostly because the church owns so much land and it hasn't had a good handle on what its land holdings are. And it hadn't had, like I said, it hadn't had a map update in a couple centuries from what I can tell. Hello. You know, it just seemed urgent and right. really useful. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of other groups that use this kind of technology within municipalities and governments. Some of the people that know how to use maps best are conservation groups and intelligence communities. Mm. Um, so I, I'm... It's <laughs> <laughs> like light and dark. <laughs> uh, we will eventually be selling school maps. So nice. maps just for Catholic schools. Okay. And, um, and a small atlas, nothing like an awesome coffee table atlas. So <laughs> yes. that's hoping to release those later this year. But Do you see what you're doing as a ministry? Uh, definitely a vocation. I think, yeah, I would say also a ministry, a mapping ministry, you could say. That's very cool. And so you, you've been to Rome. What kind of what kind of buy-in have you gotten from from the Vatican, if if any? You know, I have had um, surprisingly nothing but really good experiences. Okay. Which I say surprisingly. Why surprisingly? <laughs> people people said. Oh, you know, this is going to be threatening. You know so much about the church globally. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But um, thankfully, you know, everyone I've met there has been amazing. And um, there has been a lot of interest in it. You know, if you said, what's your dream in 50 years? (laughs) My dream in 50 years regarding the mapping is that um, 
there would be something like a Vatican observatory, but a Vatican cartography center, I think it would be immensely beneficial and helpful, but also really kind of a wonderful reignition of this beautiful history of cartography that the church clearly has. If you go to the Vatican museums, it just takes a walk towards the Sistine Chapel to see that yeah. Maps are an integral part of our history. Right, right. Yeah, I vote I vote you start that day. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so Molly, thank you so much for this. Even though a lot of it went over my head, I'm so fascinated by what you do. Um, and our next and final question, if you could canonize anyone, Catholic, non-Catholic, living or dead, who would it be? Oh my gosh, that's such a tough question. I, I assume some of the earliest map ma- makers were Catholic. I, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Maybe it would be, I don't know much about him, but the guy, the cartographer behind the Hall of Maps. Okay. Galeria della Carte Geografice in the Vatican Museums, maybe him. Okay. Okay. What, so what, what, what is, can you explain that, so, the Hall of Maps for those who have yeah. not walked through it? <laughs> <laughs> um, It's this amazing, ornate Hall of Maps. Like, it's just these fresco maps that are so accurate. I have no idea how this guy did them in the late 1400s. They look like satellite images almost that have been translated. Um, They're just brilliant. And uh, I think the cartographer's name is Ignacio Dante. Oh, nice. um, Any relation (laughs) to the other Dante? I don't know if that's how names work then. (laughs) Let me, me, Ignacio No, Dante, Dante. Oh, okay, okay. Got it, got it. So he was a mathematician and a cartographer. Um, Yeah, so maybe him, but I don't know much about his personal life. If not him... We won't hold you (laughs) responsible, Pete. Actually, he was a uh, a murderer also, so (laughs) stupid answer. (laughs) Just kidding. JK. (laughs) No, that's great. Thank you so much for talking to us, Molly. This was fascinating. Where can people find your work? Oh, okay. So you can visit our website at goodlands.org. So it's G-O-O-D hyphen L-A-N-D-S dot O-R-G. And you can check out our maps. There's a link from the homepage to some of our global maps. Yeah, no, everyone should check out the priest one. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also have a map of bishop's birthdays. Which oh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's I know I can automatically send every bishop in the have world. You, have you actually sent a bishop a birthday card yet? I haven't yet, but no, like but I, you could. You know, <laughs> once we get more capacity, I'm thinking we should have. <laughs> Sounds like a good a good job for the interns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thanks, Molly. Great, thanks so much. Okay, bye. 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 All right, now it's time for listener feedback. Uh, first, a Twitter poll, Zach. Yeah, I was getting a lot of, we'll say flack um, for oh my, my... A lot of uh, yuck. Yeah, there was a lot say. of yuck in my yum. I was trying to explain this to my girlfriend, Amanda. She was she texted me when she heard the episode. She's like, it's not a thing. You're dumb. <laughs> what is this thing and I was like, you about? yuck my yum. Yeah. The, and it was a phrase I brought up on last week's show. And she's like, it's not, it's not a phrase. Not and I'm like, you are demonstrating what yuck my yum means right now. So we asked our Twitter followers, is yuck my yum a thing? 20% said, yes, I will take that. I think that's enough to make it a thing. 35% said, no. And if you're wondering why that does not add up to 100, it's because the majority of people said, ew, what does that mean? <laughs> I said, I said, ew. I also said, ew. I just wanted to, I just don't want yuck my yum to did you a also, thing. Did, all right. Our, Our producer, producer Eloise, Eloise yeah. she also said, "You, what does that mean?" We should add the caveat that one of the uh, no votes came in with a reply that was change it to a yes vote. 
But you can't do that on Twitter in the same way you can't do it in the election. So I was, I was setting you <laughs> up to be like Scott Detrow's on my side. He is, but I'm still upset with him because he Zach. just like you can't take back your your presidential ballot, you can't take back your Twitter ballot. <laughs> Not to imply that Scott voted one way or another. In the oh, Lord. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, anyways, who won? So, sorry, Zach. Next, Constellations and Desolations, uh, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? So, this Tuesday, I was at the Riverside Church on the Upper West Side of Manhattan to see Senator Bernie Sanders speak. And... The reason that I'm bringing this as my consolation is because throughout the speech, I got the sense that this is not the speech of someone who's going to run for president again. Everything that he said. That wasn't desolating to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. But uh, so it, it, everything he said did not come across as self-serving. Yeah. That helps. Um, but the thing that regardless of. It was a very political speech, right? He is a very political person. But regardless of the political leanings he had or what he, the policies that he was advocating for, the thing that made me hopeful, and this is like a time where it's easy to look at our political situation and be the opposite of hopeful, right? Is it was one rooted in idealism. It was rooted in hope. It was rooted in the human person. He was very good at framing things in moral issues and talking about uh, individual people. And so, like, I think like Pope Francis, he, he, he roots it in the person. He sees the person. And I think that made me feel like being in a, a dark political time and still feeling hopeful made me, that was the consolation. Right. Because I, I really left feeling consoled, um, both about what could come and also my, my ability to bring about, uh, God's kingdom, frankly. I mean, he spoke about it in political terms, but it was easy for me to like see what I can do as an agent of change. What about you, Olga? So I've got a consolation this week. Um, a few episodes back, um, I talked about a friend of mine. We had grown distant and we hadn't really talked in a while. She reached out to me um, about a week or so ago. Um, and she was kind of like, you know, I was hurt by the fact that we've grown apart. Um, and this is how you've made me feel aside from hurting me. All these things have been happening in your life and I haven't been a part of it. Um, and at first I was kind of like, oh my God, how dare she say that as we always react when someone's calling us out <laughs> for all the BS that we're doing. Um, but after some like deep introspection, I was kind of like, wait, she extended this olive branch to me. And this was like an extremely great moment of like a moment of grace on her part to kind of be like, you know what? Our friendship means more than this distance that's developed between us. So just kind of seeing her being able to extend that to me. And then me having to recognize that I was the one who kind of messed up and then realizing like, okay, she's a friend of mine and just, it's not always going to be easy, but you always have to step outside of yourself and try to understand what another person has been to and just kind of, it was very humbling and consoling to see her do that. And then in turn forced me to do it as well, you know? So even like when you're like hearing these things you did wrong, feeling yeah, like the grace of reconciliation yeah, with the yeah. friend. Yeah. What do you got, Ashley? Yeah. So I have a cons well it's like a constellation turned desolation turned constellation <laughs> but so i signed a lease for an apartment nice and that was exciting but then i was also kind of got nervous about leaving as i've talked about before this great community that mm -hmm. i've lived in for the past 
uh, four years. Uh, so on this weekend, I talked to my two best friends who live way too far away from me, one in California, one in Brussels. Um, and both of them are going through a similar or not the exact same thing, but they're both moving in the coming um, weeks and months. One's moving to San Francisco for work. One's having roommate troubles. And so trying to live on our own. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not one to like share my anxieties or worries. I kind of like, like figuring things out on my own, but by the coincidence of both of my best friends kind of being in the same situation with me, I was able to open up with them and be vulnerable with them. And mm -hmm. because they were in the same place, um, I could really like see God working through them for uh, like, we could support each other in, in this kind of period of transition. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that necessarily uh, if, if they had not been vulnerable with me and then that invited me to uh, share with them and hopefully be somewhat helpful and right. <laughs> and supportive to them. Uh, so yeah, so seeing seeing God uh, work through other people in our in our vulnerabilities uh, was consoling for me this week, and it nice. allowed you to be vulnerable here. Yeah, so. yes. Haltingly <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we so. <laughs> we were not lying. This is the part where we get really really vulnerable. <laughs> yes. All right. Roll All right. credits. We good. All right. Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Adult supervision provided by Sam Sawyer, SJ. Engineering and adverbs by Angelo Jesus Conta. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. We have very fun polls and whatnot so you sure. should weigh in oh, there was also a you should look at it there oh was, yeah this uh, is even better a, than this poll yeah i asked everyone to reply to a tweet with their favorite sign of the cross gif and there are some really great ones <laughs> who knew um and please subscribe to us on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review a special shout out this week what? we hit 75 this week oh which nice it's well, three quarters to yeah so 100. get us to 100 um ira joel and a a person who likes crosswords <laughs> left us comments last week so special thanks to them nice. um yeah so feel free to give yourself a crazy name and leave us a review and finally send us your questions feedback cocktail recipes and tell us where you found god this week at jesuitical at americamedia.org for america media i'm ashley mckinless with zach davis and olga segura we'll see you next week send drugs to ashley's house because <laughs> she's medicine or that's yeah, what i meant exactly. <laughs> medicine